This is going to be a pretty compact version of the Happiness Engineering Five Pillars of Human Thriving, and we're going to have a particular emphasis on pillar number four, which is mental fitness, because that seems to be something that people are struggling these days, uh, cooped up all day at home with the world turned topsy-turvy. So uh, we'll take care of that, but please keep in mind that there is no bad time to attend to all five pillars of happiness engineering, the five being robust relationships, meaningful work, sound sleep, mental fitness, and physical fitness. Um, and usually I start this with the story of highly successful people who are kind of miserable, but I think we're living in this interesting time when that stuff is kind of assumed to be not as important anymore. I think people get it, that uh, that's driving for the corner office, that trying to get the um, top residency, the top job, uh, trying to, I don't know, become a successful hedge fund manager. All those things maybe uh, are being seen in a different light these days as our priorities have shifted towards something like, I don't know, survival. So, uh, and also a more communitarian ethos is coming on board as we really see that we are in this together. Uh, and so it used to be that we could say, oh yeah, stuff happens to other people over there, but there is no over there anymore. It's all right here. So somebody gets sick in, uh, in Wuhan, China, and next thing you know, that is our concern as well. So it's unfortunate that it should come to us in this way, but the truth is that the world has changed in some significant ways that may actually be a really good opportunity for us to take stock and reconsider and reconfigure our lives. So in the next 45 minutes or so, I'm going to make some suggestions for how you can do exactly that and take this time as a real opportunity. Uh, so there is a crisis, obviously, but within, seed, within every crisis, there's also the seed of opportunity and enormous growth. Uh, so let's begin. And if you have questions, please feel free to chime in in the chat box over there. Uh, admit all. I keep on, I, say, I asked Zoom to admit everybody all the time. It does not do that. So I'm so sorry if you were waiting there because uh, you weren't admitted. Uh, let me see if I can fix that setting before we go because I really do want everybody to, uh, to be able to come um, as they arrive. Admit, see waiting room. Yeah, this uh, Zoom thing works really well if you know how to make it work um let's see what we got here uh, hmm remove the waiting room okay that's a good suggestion how do you do that uh admit all uh, admit how do you remove the waiting room no, do not put attending a, attending a waiting room on you. That would be terrible. We want everybody to be in here. Okay. Um, great. And mute person. Okay, great. Fantastic. Okay, I think that's going to work a lot better as we let everybody just come in as, they, as, I'm, as I'm speaking here. And if I take a second, that's probably because I'm admitting people in the room. Uh, all right, great. Fantastic. So let's talk about happiness and during the five pillars. Once again, the five pillars are pretty straightforward. Robust relationships. So that is the cornerstone of your whole, cornerstone of your whole existence. That is the thing that makes us happy and healthy in the long run. And it's particularly important to pay attention to that in these trying times. So 
the situation is right now that either you are alone by yourself or you are cooped up with a bunch of people whom you have different degrees of affection for. So these could be family members, these could be roommates, but the fact is life wasn't always like this. So first, if you are with a bunch of people, especially if you're with somebody who is a significant other, this is an extraordinary opportunity to make sure you have a robust relationship and to build that up. So the number one tip that I give, given the usual happiness engineering course, still holds here, and that is have a novelty night. So you're together all day, every day for weeks on end. What are you going to do? You want to introduce some notion of novelty into your life. Um, so before you could say go out and try new dishes and go on a new hike. Well, guess what? The variety of things that you can try that you haven't tried in your life is still infinite. So put in some effort and do novel things together. So this could be exploring a new kind of movie genre, or you could watch a new movie every day if you wanted to. Uh, you could take up a new hobby that you can do indoors, like, I don't know, needle pointer knitting. I mean, I'm partially joking, but I'm partially not. There's all kinds of stuff you could be doing. Uh, you could try new fun things in bed if that's the kind of relationship you have. And there are tons of resources out there where you can do that. But you need to be actually deliberate about this. So what I want you to do right now is to take about a minute or two and write down some novel things you could be doing with your partner. And if you do not have a partner, this still holds. Whenever you do something novel, you produce dopamine in your head, and dopamine is one of the happy chemicals of your brain. And it makes your surroundings seem new and exciting. This is why travel is so invigorating, because you go out and you're seeing new stuff, you're around new people, you're seeing monuments, you're hiking up stuff, you're like, wow, this is awesome. So how can we create that in this environment you have right now? And most of you can still go out for walks. So you can go for a walk in a different part of your neighborhood. You can take a different route. Your brain is gonna respond as if it's novel. You can pick up a novel, that's a book. You can pick up something you normally wouldn't pick up before. Uh, I, we all now have this extraordinary privilege of having access to an infinite amount of music. So it used to be that um, I had to go to Tower Records and plunk down $15 to buy a CD, and now all that shit is free on Spotify. How crazy is that? So these are all things you could be experiencing together or even by yourself if you're not paired up. So um, let's see in the, in the chat window some of the novel things you've come up with that you can do together. So you can cook, you can go walking, you can listen to new music and watch new movies. So what do you got for me? Put it in there so everybody can see, so they can share, they can understand how this all works. Some new ideas. Aha. Play tennis. Definitely possible. That definitely comes under the six feet of separation uh, rubric, although you're touching the hands, uh, touching the ball, so uh, don't lick the tennis ball. You know, as what as a doctor's advice right here, it's probably very useful for you. Uh, try out some new dance moves from an online video. Hell yeah! There's all these online resources that you can use to uh, do Zumba if you must. Okay, online board games with Zoom chat, and yeah, you can get creative with this. So another situation is that maybe your significant other is not. Uh, close to you. Maybe uh, he or she is somewhere else. These are all possible through uh, modern means of technology like Zoom, which we're using right now. Work out virtually. Virtual beer party by Zoom. I love it. So these are resources and you can all see in the chat window right here what other people have come up with. Please be deliberate about this. Put it on your schedule. Do it. 
Uh, and uh, if you're not partnered up, you still have friends. So this is the time when I highly recommend that people pick up the phone and use that uh, simultaneous voice chat feature on your smartphone. I think it's called the phone. So um, as of a week ago, 100% of my close friends were not picking up when I called. And now it's all the way up to 20%. So that's huge. Now people are picking up one-fifth of the time. So Make a point of picking up when friends call. I mean, this is when people need one another. So be that friend who is there for people and have calls. Imagine that the call is like you're going out uh, for coffee or beer or something. Okay, so at the same time that you want to emphasize the positive in your relationship and to build it up, it's also super duper important to avoid the negative. In fact, that's what I'm seeing flaring up in a lot of relationships because you know, you're stuck together, you're in each other's, up in each other's stuff all the time. Uh, So it's very easy to get testy, to get irritated, uh, and to like take out your anxiety on somebody who's close to you. So you want to avoid the four horsemen. So John Gottman, John Mordecai Gottman, brilliant guy, along with his wife, he came up with all this great stuff about how relationships work in the marriage lab in the University of Washington. And for the past 40 years, they've been observing couples. So Whatever John Gottman says is gospel to me. You should get his book, The Seven Secrets for Making Marriage Work. And he came up with the four, the four, horsemen of relationship apocalypse. And the four are criticism, stonewalling, defensiveness, and contempt. I'll go over each one briefly. So criticism... That's pretty straightforward. Hey, why'd you do that? You suck, okay? And it doesn't have to be necessarily an explicit criticism to count as criticism. Just your tone of voice is enough to count as criticism. It's like, oh, you forgot to take out the trash. Sounds like a statement. Actually, it's a criticism and don't think anybody's fooled. So you want to minimize the amount of criticism that you're you're kind of lobbing at each other. And a way to do that is to really... Make a deliberate effort at reconfiguring criticism as genuine inquiry. So instead of saying, hey, you forgot to take out the trash again, you can say, hey, uh, did you remember to take out the trash in your sweetest tone possible? And guess what? That sounds more like a question than a criticism, and it goes over a hell of a lot better. Okay, so questions instead of criticism. And by question, you know, there's different kinds of questions. A question like, what kind of idiot would do that? It's not really a question now, is it? So be judicious in your questions. Make them genuine requests for information, genuine inquiry in the spirit of, hey, I was curious. And that way you will reduce a lot of criticism uh, lobbed at one another. And remember that criticism begets criticism. You you throw it at them, you're probably going to get that right back at you. Okay, good. Criticism. Uh, Second one is stonewalling. That means becoming unresponsive. That's really bad. So you always want to maintain the avenues of communication and actually respond. Even if it's just a grunt, please make sure that there is some loop still going on here, okay? Uh, So if you have to say, hey, I need to take a break from this discussion for a minute and I'll be right back with you. If you need a 15-minute cool-off period, that's cool. Communicate that to your partner, to your friend, to your mom or dad that you're living with, whatever's happening, communicate instead of don't want. The third one is defensiveness. And it seems like a pretty reasonable response to criticism that you would defend yourself. Wrong. Defensiveness begets more criticism and more defensiveness. So what you want to do is, once again, you want to listen to whatever the criticism or the suggestion or the question was, and then respond. Actually, as if you're responding to the question and 
maybe even do it in the spirit of inquiry and curiosity yourself, okay? Because when you become defensive, you're invalidating the other person. You're saying, no, that's not true. I didn't do that. I didn't forget to take out the trash. And you can say, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. I wonder how you came up with that conclusion, okay? There's many ways of doing that instead of being defensive. Uh, again, the spirit of genuine inquiry and curiosity works a lot better. And look, I understand. You've been stuck in the same house with these people for God knows how long. It may take a while to, uh, to get used to this new regime. Uh, in the meantime, you can write this stuff down and say, I'm going to do this instead. Now, save the best or the worst for last. And the, the worst is contempt. So contempt is basically invalidating the other person's existence. Like, oh, that's always the kind of thing that you would say, isn't it? Uh, or basically you're saying to the other person, you suck. So contempt is the number one harbinger of relationship doom. So observe it in yourself. If you do it, try to expunge it from your behavior as much as possible. And once again, replace it with the spirit of inquiry. And you say... Oh, you know, you left the trash can over there. And it's probably not because you're a horrible person that you were born that way. You're going to be there for the rest, be like that for the rest of your life. What made you forget that? Okay. So again, I'm exaggerating, but contempt is poison to relationships. So you want to build it up with novelty. You want to build it up by communicating, calling your friends and hanging out with them however you can, doing stuff to the extent that's possible. Hey, walking has not been banned yet. It's great exercise, a great way to bond, and actually frees up your mind, makes you more creative. So go for walks if you can. In the meantime, beware of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, relationship apocalypse. Okay, good. Questions for this section here. Uh, before I go on. And if you have a question, I think I put the unmute thingy on there so you can you can potentially unmute yourself and ask out loud or you can just put it in the uh, in the question box. Question box, chat, Lasha, chat, mute, chat, here we go, there it is. Um, creating music virtually, stay alone here as well. Yeah, uh, and I found a really cool app if you guys just want to noodle on your phone. It's called iChaosolator and basically you can create uh, tracks and stuff. It's super fun. Um, so I would try that. Let's see what happens here. How many people do we have? We have a whole bunch of people here. This is great. Hello, Elisa. Hello, Judy. Hello, Mishana. Hello, Melinda. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Valerie. Hello, Lauren. Hello, everybody. Okay, good. If we don't have any questions, I'm going to keep on jamming along here. Um, let's see what we got. So I'm going to minimize this window here. Hello, window. Get smaller, please. Okay, that didn't work at all. Okay, good. So, um, yeah, and one thing that I want to emphasize with the whole robust relationships thing is the ratio, the three, the five to one ratio. So great relationships last because they have a five to one ratio of positive stuff that people say to each other to negative stuff. So it, it's not like all unicorns and rainbows and roses and chocolate all the time. It's that you set your priorities such that you are reinforcing one another positively five times more than negative. If it dips below three to one, you're in deep trouble. And, you know, I have certain family members who I may or may not live with, and it's like 10 to one in the opposite direction. That's not a good start. So five to one is the ratio you want to have of positive to negative, okay? And fighting is okay as long as you fight right. So make sure you fight fair and you resolve your questions again. 
or, uh, make them questions instead of criticisms and contempt. And uh, remember the spirit of inquiry. Uh, it'll keep you much happier. Okay, good. Let's talk about meaningful work. So the way things are right now, you are probably not going to work. You are probably working from home, using some kind of utility like Zoom to get your stuff done. Uh, it's also possible that you just got laid off. It's also possible that you're an entrepreneur like me who depended upon, uh, say, live events and doing stuff outside, and you can't do that anymore. So this can be very distressing. This can be very disquieting because you're like, hey, my whole world just turned topsy-turvy. I no longer have this job. And uh, how am I going to feed myself? There's a lot of room for worry and anxiety. And I also want to emphasize that there's a lot of room for growth, transformation, and reconfiguration of your entire life. So in the regular happiness engineering talk that I give, I emphasize that, look, you are either working to fulfill your dreams or somebody else's dreams. If you're fulfilling somebody else's dreams, that's called a job. Now, most of us don't have the latitude to just pick up and take off and do something else. But guess what? For a lot of us, somebody just made that decision for us already. In this current regime, a lot of us are not going to be going back to the same jobs we had before, which means that this is an extraordinary opportunity to find out what is it that really lights you up? What is, it, what is the thing that you would rather be doing? And also maybe reconfiguring some simple logistical things about your life. For example, how long was your commute? I live in LA and it's totally normal for people to have 45 to 50, commu 50 minute commutes each way. And what you have to remember is that commuting is the thing that's been proven over and over by science to be what makes you most miserable in life. People are never as miserable as they are when they're commuting. Also, stress levels when you're driving are higher than that of emergency first responders and jet fighter pilots. You may not realize it, but your blood pressure is spiking. You're you're secreting all these stress hormones, adrenaline, you're flipping people off left and right. I mean, I'm in there, it's combat mode, baby, right? So we are at our worst when we're driving. So do you wanna start and end every one of your work days by being at your worst for 40 minutes? What does that do to your life, okay? So here's a great opportunity to reconfigure your life around what really matters, uh, namely happiness, thriving, well-being. So if you have the latitude to make your next job something that you can do with a shorter commute or no commute at all, maybe that's worth a try. And if you're finding out that right now you can actually be just as efficient, if not more, at your job than you were before by telecommuting, by working from home, well, guess what? This is a chance to reconfigure all of American society. I cannot tell you how much misery, self-inflicted misery, comes from this whole notion of commuting to work and urban sprawl. So maybe this is the opportunity to change this whole supposed axiom of American work, which is that, oh, you're supposed to commute to work, and maybe get rid of that. And imagine how much less environmental burden that would be, how much less stress burden that would be, and also how much more productive you're going to get if you have an extra hour and a half every day to do stuff that really matters. Okay, so... Think about this as a potential opportunity to reconfigure what you're going to be doing. And right now, I want you to uh, take about two minutes and write down on whatever you have to write down what constitutes meaningful work to you. What is your highest value? What do you want to contribute to this world? And 
you know, uh, there's a long list of values I can name, like, you know, giving joy to the world, creativity, connection, um, environmental health, any number of things. But I want you to have that list handy. So as you're looking at your work life in the future, you can aim to reconfigure it towards the values that mean a lot to you. Because a lot of us, we end up on these treadmills, you know, I went to this fancy college called Harvard, where everybody was trained, everybody was selected because they were high achievers, and they were trained to be even higher achievers and continue doing that for the rest of their lives without any regard for whether that was good for them or good for the world. So what is good for you and what is good for the world? What gives you meaning and what is it that gives service to the world? Because as I did all my research on work and what about work makes people happy, it comes down to two things meaning and service. So what is the meaningful aspect of the work you do? What could be more meaningful in it? And what aspect of your work involves service? And recognize that right now is an extraordinary opportunity to add some service to your work life. Whether that means mentoring somebody, which is very easy to do. You just say, hey, you know, we're not coming to the office now. I have some extra time. I thought I'd uh, offer my mentorship services. You're new to the company. How can I help, right? Or you can go do something completely unrelated to your work that is service-oriented. There are many senior citizens out there who can't get out of their homes. You could help them with their chores, with getting them food, any number of things. Uh, You can go to nextdoor.com and find out in your neighborhood who needs stuff and become that agent of service. And it's also this opportunity for you to Help out all the people you know and give of your expertise and your own personal strength. So uh, I'm doing my part by having seminars like this. I'm going to do them on a regular basis because guess what? People need community. People need to see one another. People need to hear a voice of of hope and uh, reinforcing the positive in the midst of a lot of uncertainty. So uh, if I'm in a position to offer that, then... That's something that can make me personally happy while I'm actually serving uh, my friends and my audience. So how can you be an agent of change? How can you start a little WhatsApp group of, say, sharing resources in your neighborhood or connecting a whole bunch of friends together and sending each other funny things or propping each other up uh, and maintaining morale? So think about the ways you can do that. And when you come up with something creative, please feel free to share right here in the, uh, in the chat box. Okay, so come up with your values and imagine what you could be doing after all this is over uh, that is more oriented towards your true values and what really matters to you. Okay, good. So let's continue here. Um, Contribution, mentor, donor, engage, great. Okay, so number three, this is a pretty straightforward one. And for this one, we have extraordinary opportunities. So number three in the five pillars of human thriving is sleep. So sleep is that thing which is totally not optional. And for once, you have all these go, go, go people who used to work themselves to the bone, go traveling, mess up their sleep with the, by going through different time zones, And generally think that sleep is this infinitely deep well that they can withdraw from somehow and get away with it. Well, guess what? You can't. And now's a chance to get it right. 
because you're not going out anymore and because probably there's fewer opportunities for drinking and carousing and uh, having red-eye flights, here's a chance to really tune up your sleep. And one thing that's really effective with sleep hygiene is to have set sleeping and waking times. So some of us need seven hours, others need eight, others need eight, some need nine. Whatever it is, by now you have a sense of how much uh, sleep you need. Mine is between seven and seven and a half hours. So if I naturally go to sleep at midnight, I get up around 7.30. So that's me. You might be different. So figure out what your uh, bedtime is and stick with it from now on. Make it ironclad. You're not going to be missing out on any parties and any shows you want to watch, you can watch the next day. Whatever it is, this is your chance to have really good sleep hygiene. Okay, so, and then have a set wake-up time too. And this is pretty important because if you allow yourself to just wake up whenever and not have a set schedule, that can lead to, that can kind of seep into the rest of your life. Suddenly you're waking up in your PJs at 11 a.m., then the thing you're going to do in the morning like happens later on. And at this point, with so much structure taken away from our lives, it's important for us to create some structure for ourselves. So this sleep and wake time thing is super important. And then what I highly recommend is that you have a morning routine. Many of you already have a morning routine, and just be sure you maintain it. Mine is really simple. First thing I do after uh, uh, I make myself presentable is I sit down for 30 minutes and I meditate. And we're going to talk about that soon. So I meditate and then I exercise. I either go for a run or I do some kind of online workout. And that's another 20 to 30 minutes. And then I start with work. And uh, actually, no, then I have breakfast and then I start with work. So that routine means that before noon, I've done three out of four things of the day that I really, really want to do. And that means I'm already pretty happy. I'm already in a good zone. And that way, the day starts right. Okay? So, sleep. Uh, more points on sleep hygiene. So, make sure you're not looking at uh, blue light emitting devices as you're going to bed. So, either get one of these uh, orange sunglasses, uh, orange glasses that filter out the blue, or just keep devices out of there. And if you can help it, make sure you keep devices out of your whole bedroom, especially the phone. The last thing you want to do is to grab the phone the first thing you wake up because news, because email, because everything. What we're doing here is we're cultivating peace of mind. And if you establish these habits now, after the crisis is over, you will still have these habits and they will keep you in good stead. So keep the phone out of the room is possible, if possible. And that way, the first thing you do in the morning is you meditate. And then the second thing you do in the morning is uh, you exercise. And the third thing you do in the morning is you have breakfast. And you know what? The phone's still going to be there. And if you have to take a quick look just to make sure there's no emergencies, cool. But if there's an emergency, people will call you and the thing will start rattling loudly and you'll know. So, but the thing is, it's so easy to go to the phone and uh, start twiddling with it and then get totally derailed into a zone that is not necessarily very helpful for you. So, uh, to recap, so I'm going to start with the phone again in a second. But to recap, this uh, sleep hygiene. So the usual sleep hygiene rules apply. So you want your bedroom to be a little bit cooler. So under 70 degrees when you go to bed. 65 is ideal. Uh, you want to be totally dark. So if you have blackout curtains, great. If you don't, get an eye mask. I've been sleeping with an eye mask for many years now. And uh, set sleep and wake times. So decide what your sleep time is and stick with it. 
There's very few excuses now to not stick with that. Uh, and make sure you keep exercising. Exercise is very important for good sleep. And um, no alcohol an hour or two before you go to bed. I would say even two hours before you go to bed. That disrupts the quality of your sleep. You may think that it helps you sleep, but it actually doesn't. It disrupts your sleep quality. Uh, you're not going to be uh, as well off. Uh, and definitely no caffeine after three in the afternoon because caffeine uh, has a half-life of six hours. So if you have a cup of coffee at three, at nine o'clock, half of that cup is still in your body and that is enough to keep you awake uh, if your bedtime is happening soon. So uh, that's the basics. And uh, if you abide by those, your, the quality of your sleep will go up significantly. Uh, however, let's address the root problem of why sleep quality may not be so great right now. And that may have something to do with anxiety and worry. So what is up with that? What is up with that is that there is a genuine threat out there. There's something that's determined to go and kill you. And if you're worried about that, that's kind of normal. So nobody is going to disparage you uh, for being worried about a genuine threat. That said, that threat has always existed. We're all going to die. Let me repeat that in case you didn't get it. We're all going to die. So the threat of death has always been there, whether it's the form of a bus barreling down the street or um, anthrax or, uh, I don't know, having a heart attack in the middle of the street or catching some nasty pneumonia. We're not going to live forever. Okay, so what this whole crisis has brought to the fore is that mortality is going to happen to all of us. And maybe it doesn't happen to other people. So now it's become real. And once again, this could be a great opportunity, a seed of a great transformation within something that seems really scary and really unpleasant. And the root of all worry is basically fear of death. And that could be the fear of death of your job, the fear of the death of your pet, the fear of death of your relationship, the fear of death of all these different things, and ultimately the fear of death of you. So the more you make yourself familiar with this fear and kind of go into it, you lean into the sharp points of life and then you realize, hey, maybe it wasn't so bad, okay? And look, if I want to get really blunt about it, there's two settings for this whole worry thing, okay? One is that all this eventually blows over and we're going to be fine. And the second setting is you die. Either way, you stop worrying. So there's nothing to worry about. So in the meantime, yes, be careful. Yes, stay in. And the advice is very simple. If you stay in and if you minimize your exposure, the chance of you catching the disease goes down significantly, if not down to zero. So staying in is a good policy and it can dispel a lot of those worries. In the meantime, you know, you put on a mask when you go out, not because it's going to necessarily protect you from droplets, but because it keeps you from touching your face. That seems to be the main way that this disease is transmitted. So you wash your hands a lot, you put a mask if you go out, you stay home as much as you can, and that way, instead of worrying, you can start living again. Now here's the thing. We're going to worry anyway, and we're going to want to know what's happening. We're going to seek out information, we're going to um, find out what the latest news is, just so we can act on it. For once, this is news that we can actually act on. So here's my concrete suggestion, because we're probably not going to eliminate all the worry all the time, all of a sudden. Here's what I suggest you do. Set aside worry time. I suggest 30 to 60 minutes. And 30 to 60 minutes a day, 
Put it on your schedule. You are going to binge worry. You're going to worry the shit out of the world. You're going to look up every single COVID-19 site. You're going to look up every single news org. You're going to go to CNN. You're going to go to um, Google News. You're going to watch everything there is you can and top it out and just fill yourself with it. And then you're done. And then you have the remaining 23 hours of the day free to live and be and to create and be joyous again, okay? And I suggest you don't do that first thing in the morning. I suggest you set some time in the afternoon, like maybe two o'clock, three o'clock, or even later, six o'clock, postpone the worry if you can, okay? If you must find out there's actionable news, well, you know, every time there's an actionable news, somebody tells me about it. I have never, not once in my life, received information from news that I actually acted upon because usually you already know about it. So you can pretty much avoid the news. and. Look, it's incredibly easy to cycle between Google News, CNN, you know, Fox, if that's the thing you're into, uh, check your email and keep on doing that all day long. That is the hamster wheel of positive reinforcement. Your brain is designed to forage. When we grew up, on, when you evolved on the savanna hundreds of thousands of years ago, we're always looking for the next bright, shiny thing that could be food, could be survival, right? And so that same programming is now being used for you to forage for news that has survival value. I encourage you to stop doing that if that's what you're doing. It is so easy to scroll on Facebook for hours on end with all the pain and the uncertainty and the fear that our friends are feeling. It's also a great way to reach out to friends and actually uh, establish and nurture the bonds that really matter to us. So one suggestion I have for Facebook is there is this app, which actually doesn't work on the new Facebook interface, but it does work on the old Facebook interface. It's, called, it's a plug-in for Chrome. It's called Newsfeed Eradicator. And you put that on your Chrome and instantly your whole newsfeed disappears. So Facebook becomes a way for you to broadcast, but not to scroll infinitely on the thing. And the other thing that I suggest that you do uh, is to tame your phone. So this could be a lifesaver. It could also wreck your life. So I invite you to eliminate all addictive apps from your phone just to make this something that can only help you and save you rather than something that makes you miserable. So what do I mean? That means get rid of the Facebook app, get rid of Instagram, get rid of, uh, I don't know, any kind of app that allows you to scroll infinitely and worry yourself. Definitely get rid of the news app. You don't need that. Uh, so these things are constantly refreshing and your brain is in forage mode, it's looking for this stuff. This is the formula for self-inflicted misery, people, okay? So this seminar is about minimizing self-inflicted misery because there's plenty of stuff out there trying to make us miserable. Why does it need your help? So get rid of the addictive apps. Facebook, be gone. Instagram, be gone. News app, be gone. Email, you do not need email on your phone. You absolutely do not. There is no emergency that ever comes through via email. There's an emergency, people will call you. Get rid of email. Email is probably the single most addictive thing in my life and probably your life too because who knows? And it's always like, ooh, something new, something new, something new. It is the classic intermittent reinforcer, right? So irregular schedule of reinforcement is what creates addiction and email is just custom designed for you to be addicted to it. So make sure you don't have it on your phone and for the sake of productivity, you want to check it at a set time per day, maybe twice a day, and then just leave it, right? Otherwise, it can consume your entire existence and make you 
miserable, which is what we do not want you to do. Okay, good. Questions for these last two sections, sleep and um, mental, mental fitness. Let's see. Let's see. Great. We have some fantastic comments here. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody's job offer just got revoked. Uh, Lauren says, this is an opportunity to recalibrate and seek an engineering position at a company offering more service and value. Ed tech, the arts, music tech, mental health, etc. Okay. And, you know, I hope that with this new consciousness around how we are all in this together and what really matters and the things that have shut down in our lives are pretty much still pretty okay without it, right? Like, oh, look, these hedge fund managers can't trade as much. Darn. Um, so what really matters in society? What really matters as a contribution to the world? So uh, that may be a guide for what you might be doing after this crisis is over. So Vicky asked a question, do you find a difference in what time in the day to meditate? I encourage you to start the day with meditation. So, because when you do that, you're putting your brain in this completely different mode of super calm and content and grateful. And that will carry you throughout the rest of the day. And I know this because the days that I forget to meditate, I'm like, I'm just a little jittery all day long. And that's not as good as being calm and happy. So, that said... Let's meditate. So those of you who've never meditated, you're about to experience the longest two minutes of your life. Those of you who do meditate regularly, this will be a nice little break for you. So I'm going to teach you my favorite meditation. It's called the Humsa Meditation. It comes from many different traditions, has been around for hundreds of years. And you know what? It works. It's pretty simple. It totes works. So take a deep breath and close your eyes, unless you are driving, in which case that's a terrible idea. And as you close your eyes, uh, I invite you to focus on the sensation of breath coming through your nose. So the first point of focus is to actually feel your breath. And the second point of focus is to look with your eyes closed at the back of your forehead. So you're flipping your eyes up. You're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to look at the back of my forehead while I still pay attention to the sensation of breath coming in and out. And then the third thing you want to do is on the inhale, you say silently, hum. And on the exhale, you say silently, saw. So three things. Eye flipped up, pay attention to the sensation of breath coming through your nostrils, and say hum, in and saw out. Not out loud, but silently. We're going to do that for the next two minutes. And you may notice that if you do all three of these things, it is impossible to have thoughts. Go ahead, try. You can't have any thoughts. At the same time, you will have thoughts as you meditate. And we do that. Thank the thought, let it go, and just come back to the three practices, the three points of focus. Usually it's because we've forgotten to do one of them that we have thoughts coming in. 
Right, eyes closed. Hmm. One more minute. Five, four, three, two, one. Open your eyes and return to the room fully present. How y'all feeling? Maybe slightly better than you were before. All right. Uh, I feel a little bit calmer and uh, less anxious, although I probably wasn't feeling terribly anxious beforehand. But you're probably feeling something different. So if you're feeling something different, please share what that is in the chat box. And... If you are feeling something different, it's because this stuff works, people. This works really well. In fact, I was thinking about making this whole talk about just this. Meditation, mindfulness, and training your brain. Because you got two choices in life. You can have a brain that kind of goes off on its own and does its thing. Or you can have one that you've trained to behave. It's like a puppy that pees on your carpet versus one that is companionable and nice and obeys you. Which one would you rather have in your cranium? I'm going to go with option two. So this is how you train your brain. This is how you become a common person. And this is how you realize that stuff can happen out there and you do not have to be affected by it. You can think and feel independently of circumstance. During those two minutes, the world was still raging outside. Somewhere there's famine. Somewhere there's war. Somewhere... There's somebody being cheated out of their salary. Somebody is out there suffering because they can't breathe because they're on a ventilator and they caught some disease. All this stuff was happening during those two minutes that you're meditating, but you somehow were a calmer version of yourself. And I will argue that it's from that space of calm, from that space of expansive consciousness that you can be your best self and you can be the most effective version of you, especially in these times. So... I, if you do not already have a meditative practice, practice, I strongly encourage you to add it because that is going to be instrumental in reducing your anxiety and worry and just making you a much more effective person. Because guess what? It's always true that out there, there is bad shit happening. And if you focus on that, that's what you get in your mind. If you focus on your consciousness, that's what you get. Because the metaphor that I like to use is your brain, your mind is like a TV screen. And on that TV screen, you could show Downton Abbey, you could show John Wick, you could show Disaster, Famine, you could show Fox News. And that does not make that TV, Disaster, Famine, Downton Abbey, or Fox News. The TV remains the same. The programming comes and goes. Your mind is that TV screen. Your thoughts are like the programming. You are not your thoughts. You are not the worry that you experience. You are not any of these things. You are pure consciousness. So the more you identify with the TV screen, the more you identify with that hung sa state, the better off you're going to be, the happier you're going to be, the more effective you're going to be, and the more you're going to be able to give your gift to the world. So, uh, audio meditation tracks. Yes, we can do that. I have one, and I'll be happy to send it to people. Uh, I sense more ease. Great. In the morning, do you used to do this meditation while you're still lying in bed? So I recommend that you do the meditation seated. I sit on the ground. I have one of these things. 
Hello. It's called a Zafu. It's a particular thing designed for sitting upon and meditating. It's a Zen thing. And, you know, it helps me ground and have a space and to do it in a regimented way. So if you can get a Zafu, great. But if you don't, you can just sit on the ground. You can sit on a couple of pillows. You can sit in a chair with your back straight. The reason why I don't necessarily recommend that you do it lying down is because, is because you just might fall asleep. That happens to me. And it can happen to you too. Uh, so make a habit of creating a space and a discipline for the way you, that you meditate. And there's also energetic arguments that I'm not going to get into about having a straight spine, having energy move um, easily uh, from the bottom of your spine to the top of your head. So uh, I'm just going to say preferred to sit. If you can't do it at all and you want to do it lying down, cool. Doing it lying down is better than not doing it at all. And doing it sitting down is better than doing it lying down. Great question. Okay. Definitely more centered, definitely calmer. Great. Uh, thought before of talking about something to my husband. Now I changed my mind. All right. Well, there you go. Progress. And look, if that's what you got in two minutes, imagine doing this for 10 minutes a day, for 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. So look, I am human like you. It probably took me 10 years between finding out that meditation is a good thing and establishing a regular practice. So we would like to shorten that 10 years for you and make it maybe 10 minutes. So today you can do that and you can do it again tomorrow. You can take the two minutes and tomorrow you can make it three. Next day you can make it four. Next day you can make it five. Hey, don't want to go crazy here. Take a week of doing it five minutes, then make it 10. And that way, before you know it, you're up to 20 minutes for the rest of your life. So this is like fitness for your body. That's why I call it mental fitness, because we all know that if you want to be fit in your body, you exercise. If you want to be fit in your mind, what do you do? Hmm, what is the equivalent of exercise for your mind? It's meditation. This is how you exercise your brain. You develop these faculties that have such wide-reaching effects everywhere in your life that you will only surprise yourself when you do it. Okay, I will continue harping around meditation to the end of my life, so please don't feel like I've, uh, please don't think that I'm done here. But for now, we're going to stop about the meditation thing. Um, let's see. Um, Okay, we did the pure worry thing, worry and anxiety. Great. Let's talk about physical fitness since we segued into that so smoothly. So, of all the things that you're doing during this crisis, exercise is super duper not optional. You must exercise. Okay, so, uh, mama said don't point at people, but for this, you, Americans everywhere, must exercise. Non-Americans, everybody. There is nothing, and I mean nothing in the world, that changes your mood and elevates it more reliably and more quickly than exercise. That's it, okay? Exercise is also the only thing that's ever been proven to make people smarter, actually smarter. So aerobic exercise, exercise. And the thing that gets you there like 95% of the way is just walking. It's so simple. Just walk fast and you're almost all the way there. Unless you're an Olympic athlete for training for, you know, God knows when the Olympics are happening, then just walking fast is good. If you want to get more hardcore, what I recommend is the 7-Minute Workout app from Johnson & Johnson. It's free and it's awesome. It's got all these different levels of workouts. And guess what? Even 7 minutes a day is enough to maintain what you have. It gets your heart rate up. It gets you going. But guess what? They have a 20-minute version. They have a 30-minute version. And there's all kinds of different levels of masochism in there you can, you can put in there. Um, I use some videos online from my own gym, um, 30 minutes long. Uh, there's another app called Freeletics. I'm also going to give you a special treat here. So there is a website called Magic Fitness. And 
it started by one of my Harvard classmates. And uh, it's amazing because you can have your own personal trainer for dirt cheap. It's like 30 bucks in a month or so. It's some ridiculously small amount. But you will have a one-on-one personal trainer. And guess what? If you have a relationship with a personal trainer and that person's waiting for you and you have to show up, you're much more likely to show up. So the key thing about exercise is to do it. Make sure you do it. The way I make sure I do it is I schedule it first thing in the morning. I guess second thing in the morning. I meditate, then I go for a run. I meditate, then I exercise. So that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you do it. And aerobic exercise is the thing that is most effective in elevating your mood. So make sure you have it in there. So a little bit of strength training, great. You want to do some, uh, you want to do some uh, planks or push-ups. That's great. So I set myself uh, four one-hour work periods. I use this thing called the Pomodoro timer, and these are 55-minute work periods with five minutes off. What do you do during the five minutes off? Boom! Get some planks done. Boom! Dropping. Do 20 push-ups. If you do 20 push-ups for those. Uh, four or five minute periods, you've done 100 push-ups a day. Okay, 80. But you could do 100 if you wanted to. So the point is, look, you think you're all cooped up and you can't go to the gym, therefore you should get pudgy. This is a time for you to get super ripped. You do this stuff a little bit at a time every day, you'll probably end up doing more exercise than you were before all this was going down. Okay, so uh, once again, I'm going to put that in the chat box. Seven minute workout by Johnson & Johnson. And for all the people who say that all pharma firms are all evil all the time, well, hey, j is a pharma firm. It's a pretty good app, and it's free. And uh, Freeletics is the, is the app that is all body weight exercises. So um, I've pretty much talked about the stuff that I want to talk about today, but I also want to uh, just kind of sum up what I was, uh, the points for today and to really emphasize one thing, and that is gratitude. So The things that are going to hold you in good stead are your solid relationships. Make sure you maintain those. Sleep right. Eat right. Exercise right. But if you're sitting here right now, there's a couple things I know about you. One, you're not dead yet. Okay? And there's going to be a lot of people who won't be able to say that in the next couple of months. A lot of our friends are going to not do as well as us. And if you're here and if you're not a ventilator, you're doing pretty well. So I want you to take a really slow breath right now. And notice how incredibly easy that was. Notice how that breath came in. There's no impediment. There's no shortness of breath. You were able to do that. And right now, there are people that you and I know who are in a very different situation. They've had an infection that's affected their lungs, and they are short of breath. And maybe they're on a ventilator. Maybe they're very close to death. So every breath is a chance for us to express gratitude. You're at home. You've got food around you. There's no shortage. You know, the streets, you can go walk around, you can see the sun, you can get some vitamin D, you can move. We live in an extraordinary privileged society even now. So gratitude is all about appreciating what, appreciating what there is instead of bemoaning what there is not. Because there's always an infinite amount of stuff that there is not. I mean, hey, where's my yacht? If I have a yacht, where's my super yacht, right? That is not what's going to keep you happy and healthy through this or any part of your life, Okay. Focus on what is, express gratitude for what you have. So right now, we're going to do a quick exercise. I want you to write down three things you are grateful for. You can start out with, hmm, easy breathing. Uh, I would also say access to food 
And uh, I'm going to say healthy relatives. All my relatives are doing fine. Mom and dad are here. They're doing great. Sister's great. Niece is great. Everybody's doing great. So I am one lucky bastard. So write down in what ways you are a lucky bastard. And if you make that a practice of doing that every day, maybe during your meditation, after the end of your meditation, three things you're grateful for. And actually feel the gratitude. Don't just write it down. Actually go... Wow, this feels really good to be able to breathe. And imagine what it would be like to not be able to breathe. Like, <clears throat> cough, be stuck in there, shortness of breath, reduced lung capacity. I mean, what a privilege. All this stuff works. Look, you go to bed, you sleep, the breathing still happens. All these miracles are keeping you alive all the time. You've got billions of things that are trying to kill you every day. Pathogens, not just COVID-19, everything. Your immune system has been protecting you entire life. If you're not dead yet, that thing has been working. So thank you, immune system. Thank you, lungs. Thank you, uh, sunlight for giving us food. Thank you, free air, which is now much cleaner because there's fewer cars on the road. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Generally, like, go deep inside your heart. Feel that heart opening. And send that out to the world. Send that out to all the people who are suffering more than we are. Because through that transformation of suffering... You become more empowered. You become the version of you that's more able to serve the world as you transform the suffering of the world into gratitude. Imagine you're bringing all that suffering in. Maybe it's got some, you know, gray, dark, black smoke thing. You bring it in. You breathe it. You turn into this white light. You send it out to the world. And as hokey as this sounds, it feels pretty good and it works. So... Gratitude is your secret weapon. Meditation is your secret training. And you know what? Don't make it a secret. Tell other people. Go forth and share. So that's all I've got for this. Uh, Questions about what we just discussed. Or if you want to have more ways of meditating, I got meditations for you. Um, And book recommendations. I'm finishing up an article. I will send it all to you once it's done. For book recommendations, the one that I recommend immediately is called When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. It's 200 pages, really quick read, and it's about when things fall apart. Um, what's the subtitle? Subtitle. Oh, here. I was going to read a quote for you. I think I'll do that right now. Here. Uh, from When Things Fall Apart. I used to have a sign pinned up on my wall that read, Only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us. Somehow, even before I heard the Buddhist Buddhist teachings, I knew that this was the spirit of true awakening. It was all about letting go of everything. So, here's a lesson. All times are difficult times. All times are trying times. Everything's falling apart all the time. The breath that you took in, you let out, that breath just fell apart, right? Something inside your body you just ate a few hours ago, that just fell apart. Job you thought you were going to have forever, maybe you just interviewed and you got, you thought, wow, that's going to be awesome. Maybe that just fell apart. Everything is falling apart. So the key is not to steal yourself against the falling apart. It's to welcome it and realize everything falls apart all the time. Let's lean to the sharp points of life. That's what leaning in really means. Let's actually be comfortable with our discomfort because that is the seed of your resiliency. That is the seed of your true power that nobody can take away from you. If you can be resilient, if you can respond, if you can adapt to any kind of hardship that the world throws at you, you just became invincible. Congratulations.